podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. podcast we have just witnessed an incredible race the saudi arabian grand prix and it's been well an incredible weekend for good and for bad um this is our race review with me today i have james how are you james i'm good thanks how are you i am good thank you we have cal how are you mate i'm good mate i'm feeling a lot better this week compared to last so looking forward to this one yeah, you were like a little um, unhappy child last week, and now you're smiling, so it's, yeah, it's good, good, good stuff. Um, and from our Facebook group, we have our moderator, Mo, with us, who's going to help us understand some of the events. Mo, how are you? Good, man, how are you? Yes, all, all good, all good. So I brought Mo on to just talk us through um, some of the events in Saudi Arabia this weekend. So, Mo, you've lived in Saudi Arabia, I think you said seven, seven eight years, is that right? Yeah. So Mo is far more um, well versed in this topic than I am. So Mo, can you just just help us out with understanding? So the beginning of the weekend, we're not talking about all the uh, all the stuff that happened, you know, uh, and the controversy with Lewis and all that before this weekend. But the event that happened during practice, just just talk us through what happened, and then then I just want to get into the details of what was going on, how it happened. So basically, there's a rebel group or an insurgent group in Yemen called the Houthis. And they basically are involved in a civil war with another Yemeni government, which is considered the legitimate government. And they're basically winning right now. And sometimes they like to attack Saudi in strategic points or in areas with oil, because Saudi's like main resource is oil. And yeah, because of that, they tend to target them. And that's what happened before practice. Okay, so uh, to clear up any, any, uh, you know, any misconceptions here, this wasn't an attack on the F1, well, the track or the paddock, was it? No, but it was definitely timed with it to just send a message, just so it'll get more, inter- more international attention. Okay, so they've used they've used this timing. Knew that there's cars on track, cameras. It would gain exposure to this. How did this happen? And, and you know what what have they gained from this? Because it nearly, you know, it could have potentially ended this weekend. Um, I know we've all got our views on this. Um, and and what do you make of of the the whole weekend continuing? What's your sort of view on this? So what they gain from this is quite complicated. But one of the main people or money they're backed by these this group of rebels is the government of Iran and North Korea. Iran has a reason to not like Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is connected to the United States. 
And so Iran is funding these people to attack Saudi in strategic points because they're quite close in those areas. So we're talking like oil pipelines, transport routes, like infrastructure and things like that. I'm, I'm going to ask you what I, I'm thinking. I'm sure others have. F1 have put a race on somewhere that's, you know, it, it's got conflict going on. Was there, this not a risk that they knew about? So here's the other interesting point. Uh, recently, the these same rebels uh, did the same thing to Abu Dhabi, another place where we have a Grand Prix. It didn't happen while the season was happening, but it happened there as well. Saudi Arabia has got uh, U.S. military technology, which protects them from these missiles, similar to systems used in Israel, like the Iron Dome. And so this is called the Patriot system. And if you want to search about it, you can. And so this has become quite regular. And mostly the rockets that do come, they get blasted out of the air and there's usually no damage. But every once in a while, this does happen. And it's a good way to like bleed the Saudi the government but from their money. Um, Mo, my final question, I, I'm just going to ask you this. If you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Should F1 have continued racing, in your opinion? Well, there's the contractual part of it, and they kind of have to, especially if there's assurances being made by the government, and there's actual proof that shows them that this is happening, that actual preventive measures are being taken. So from that sense, uh, I don't think there's been any big issues, and they should have just gone ahead. But from the other perspective, that as a driver, how you would feel, I just think they shouldn't have been put through that and they should have just packed up and left. All right. Well, Mo, listen, thanks for joining us. I hope that gives a bit of context to this weekend because it has been talked about a lot. Um, Mo, hopefully we'll have you back soon. Thanks for having me. So this became the real talking point of this weekend. We had an explosion very close to the circuit. Um, Were the teams safe? And should this race continue? Um, James, can you just talk a little bit about those events that followed? So we had practice two, and then it was all a bit disorganised from there. James, just talk us through it. Yeah, uh, so I believe the the team principals went in first with the, the F1 Supremos and uh, some members of the Saudi government were, were certainly involved throughout the evening. I'm not sure if they were there originally. Uh, and the, yeah, they... It came out of that saying we're going to race, but the the ill feeling or the yeah, what what would you say the drivers were were having concerns? Yeah, massive. Ones. There's, there's, a, there's a word I was missing, but yeah, the concerns of the drivers grew, uh, and they basically came back in. It would appear that it was required. They got together uh, and went back in with the same group and were in there for, I believe, a total of about four hours. Uh, and we haven't really been told what happened in that meeting. There was obviously a few statements uh, and a press conference or two. There were lots of rumours swirling, but the uh, the bottom line was that they were going to race. And from my understanding, the drivers were agreed, which is why they went into this, that they didn't think it should continue. And I believe that was a unanimous feeling, hence hence the challenging it. Uh, Cal, we were all up late watching this unfold on Friday um, into the early morning of Saturday. What, what was your thoughts on this situation? Because it's something that I can't recall in our sport ever. What were my thoughts? Um, initially... Don't race, get out of there as quick as you can. Um, but then obviously things started coming out and it was very clear that 
that wasn't just as simple. It wasn't as simple as just up and leaving. There's contracts that you have to abide by and, and things like that. So I think they came to the right conclusion after they got the assurances. But I think had they not had those assurances, they definitely should have left. But yeah, it's a crazy situation to be in. And hopefully this time next year, it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I mean, we have, we have spoken to some people that work in the paddock. We're not going to call anyone out here. But there was a big feeling that no one wanted to be there um, and they couldn't leave. Now, I personally believe that that was probably one of the safest places on earth to be after this event. Um, but on the other side, should should for our sport, should we have continued? Not, not, not the safety aspect, put that to one side. Should F1 have continued with this based on... What, what they say they believe in, James? No. In a word? I don't think the, I don't think F1 should be there to start with. Just simply as that. They can say about shining a light on it, all they like. I don't believe it. Uh, I, I think there's a reason that they're there and it's, it's nothing to do with that. And the fact that we've literally, what, seven days after they they had all the drivers pose with no war signs and they obviously have removed Russia from the calendar, we go to a country openly at war. It's the hypocrisy of it. it. was bad enough to start with, let alone a missile then striking within 10 miles of the track. The driver's clearly unhappy and wanting to go home along with most of the teams. And I think they should have gone. I don't think it should have happened. So the argument here is, do you let, and they were being called terrorists, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, do you let them win and cancel the event? Or do you say, hang on a second, this doesn't fit with our with what F1 stands for? There's two sides to this, Cal. Which one would you have taken? I'm in full agreement with James. I don't think we should have been there in the first place. But after the strike, I think the right thing to do is to stay. You know, the F1 CEO spoke out and he was quite clear that we as fans don't know the full situation. We don't. We're not We're not hearing all the conversations. So it's just, it's worth bearing that in mind. There are other, there's so many other things at play here. The contract that F1 have with Saudi Arabia, a month ago they said it was going to last for a decade. And we already know that it, it pays F1 the most out of any circuit, which is 55 million a year to host that. So that's, just over half a billion pounds to run this race. That's a lot of money to just say, all right, goodbye, this didn't work out. You'd like to think that money didn't even come into the question. It was just the question of safety. Um, but you can understand why F1 as a business getting involved with Netflix. But when you go into places like this and things like this are happening, you've got to question the motive. There's another side to this, which is the track and the racing. So we will get into qualifying in just a moment, but... This is also a dangerous track, but it brought us a incredible race. Yeah, uh, a track is another issue I have with the weekend. It kind of got glossed over last year because of the, the high controversy between Lewis and Max and that ridiculous race that we had. Uh, and now Mick has crashed for a second time heavily at the same track. I just, I feel on edge throughout the weekend there's a reason that street circuits aren't this fast. And again, it just feels to me like it's... They obviously wanted a, a USP for the for the circuit and they've sacrificed the driver's safety for that. It just doesn't feel right to me that, that, that yeah, Mick Schumacher can be going 170 miles an hour that close to a concrete wall. And there was Chen Bollock Bassi in F2 who 
got a concussion and wasn't attended to for four minutes. They, they actually improved the track a little bit from last year, I believe. There was a couple of turns that got made a little bit wider, but obviously it still wasn't enough. Um, the only problem I think I can see is that there's not actually that much room to do much else with it around the circuit. Obviously, the service road doesn't run all the way around the circuit, which is why it took so long to actually clear up mixed car. Um, but yeah, the, the circuit itself is scary, like James said, to watch, never mind to drive. So these drivers are very brave. And I want to touch on the fact that these new regulations have brought in 15% more capacity of an impact in the safety structure. If that hadn't have come into play, you've got a question whether Mick would have been okay. So first of all, I'm really glad they did that. But second of all, should it have even come to that situation in the first place? Should the track not be a little bit safer? Absolutely. So let, let's just talk about qualifying. Um, we we were all on edge. Um, there was a very clear feeling that the teams hadn't had much sleep. The drivers hadn't. Um, there was just a bad feeling. I didn't. I didn't know if I wanted to be watching it. It was it was very strange qualifying. But we went ahead, as we know. We also had a crash from. Latifi, again, uh, and again, we will talk about another one in a minute. Um, what's going wrong with Latifi? Well, uh, looking at that replay, there's nothing he could have done, in, in my opinion. Cal? Yeah, I, I think the, the incident he had in qualifying was, he, he tried to explain it afterwards, and through that corner, he'd been feeling comfortable all weekend, and then all of a sudden, the rear let go on him in that corner, which he hadn't done before. So I'd say that's not driver error at all. I'd say that's just a freak moment with the car um but yeah it, that was again a, a nasty looking incident um if he hadn't have hit the first barrier first it, it could have been a bit worse i think um but the marshal was very close as well did anyone see the marshal behind the first barrier yeah. he, if he hadn't have moved he'd have been collected there by the car so you know, these marshals as well, I believe they're coming over from Bahrain, or if not the majority of them. So they're very experienced marshals. So, yeah, a bit of a dodgy moment, that, for the marshal. Never mind Latifi. So getting into Q1 was when we when we saw the, the pace of Hamilton. And we suddenly realised, oh God, this is not any sort of game playing at all. Cal, do you want to explain what happened in Q1 with Hamilton? Yeah, he, he looked slow. They they tried out, Toto said afterwards that they tried out a different balance on the car. It was a balance that went wrong, a strategy call that went wrong, Toto said, just before the race today. Um, he ended up qualifying, I think, 16th, um, which is the first time, I believe, since British GP 2009, where he's not got into Q2 on pure pace. That is just outrageous. That car was just obviously not agreeing with Lewis whatsoever. He said afterwards, I believe he said he didn't trust the rear. He didn't feel comfortable with the rear of the car. And therefore, he didn't feel comfortable pushing. Especially after what happened to Mick, you can understand that. So, hence hence not even getting into Q2. It was, it, yeah, it, it was really shocking. And ha- Hamilton was accepting of it. You know, he wasn't happy, but he wasn't surprised, um, which, which you know, that's the first time we've seen that. And with, sorry, Cal, I wasn't listening. Did you just mention George Russell? No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> and with the pace of George Russell, that must have been 
even more frustrating. George Russell, uh, his Q1 lap time put him in fourth, I said, I believe. So, yeah, big difference between the Mercedes. It's clearly the car. They had a big difference in the straight line speed, didn't they? I think it was something like seven tenths between the two Mercedes. So, yeah, uh, I, I mean, Cal touched on apparently Toto said after qualifying that they, they took a risk and it, it backfired pretty dramatically in terms of yeah, in terms of the setup, it's strange. I, I, can, I think everyone expected them to then take a pit lane start and fix the problem, but they didn't. Uh, obviously, we'll get on to how Sunday went, but yeah, so still kind of none the wiser about what the actual setup change was. I think just going off what I heard before the race is that within the regulations, you can tweak the balance of the car a touch within part Fermi. And they believe that they could get it right under heavy fuel without taking the pit lane entry start. They didn't need to do that. And obviously, as we'll see later on, that that paid off. So, yeah, they they, they could tweak what they needed to. And with the heavy fuel load, it, it would sort itself out, basically. Yeah, you know, it's only the, the two turns of front wing or whatever can make such a huge difference. So knocked out in Q1, we had Yuki Tsunoda, Latifi, Hulkenberg, Albon and Hamilton. I think we've covered that. Um, yeah, going into Q2, it was Leclerc again showing the Ferrari pace. Um, Perez doing very well as well. Um, it, it was it was what we expected at this point. We've Hamilton's out and, and things were going to plan. Um, then we had obviously we've we, we've touched on it the the Schumacher crash. So this was insane, and it was a red flag for. How long was it? It was quite a while. Um, 57 minutes, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just want to take a moment to um, compliment Sky Sports commentary on keeping us updated because in the past we have been left with no information. The cameras aren't showing us and I don't believe the commentary team have had the information. Uh, whoever was talking in Crofty's ear gave him the, the, enough information to be able to say he's talking, he's getting out the car and keep us informed. And I, I thought that was a big change to the sport and it was noticeable for me. Did you guys pick up on, on, on that compared to what's happened in the past? Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know with, with Grosjean in Bahrain that it, it, it felt like an eternity and it was only yeah, when the camera cut to Roman getting into the medical car that we knew he was okay. So yeah, I don't know who was Crofty's source, but yeah, I agree. It, it made a big difference in allaying fears at least in the that immediate kind of one or two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I just recall an F2 race last year where there was a very big smash. The driver was um, airlifted and then they restarted the race without mentioning the condition of that driver. And that really bothered me because if there's a very serious injury, you need to stop that and not go racing again. Um, and there was no serious injuries, but the, uh, us as the viewers didn't know very literally if he was alive or not. And that that was not okay with me. Again, that's a testament to the, the safety structure, the, the new and improved safety structure. Uh, they decided to improve it even after it saved Grosjean's life. And, you know, flipping out, if, if they hadn't have done that, imagine what could have been. So I'm very glad they did that. And I just want to make the point as well, the impact was so large that when the tractor tried to pick up the car, it split in two. So the fact that Mick got out of that car with no physical injuries or anything like that, and he's in the paddock walking around today doing interviews, pff, fair play. You know, 170 mile an hour crash, and he's walking around the next day. 
I think they've designed it. Uh, they've made a change to the designs this year where the, the gearbox is supposed to now break away. I don't know if that's anything to do with Grosjean um, and the fact that obviously there was that fire because the car split in two and wasn't designed to and the fuel leaked out. Uh, so yeah, I don't know the exact you know, like technical regulations have changed, but I know that they've, they've installed that. So yeah, but it was undeniably a huge crash. I mean, I haven't seen the G-forces mentioned yet, but it's going to be it's going to be big at 170 miles an hour. Um, the one thing I picked up on, and I want your thoughts on this before we move on, is just the amount of time that it took the medical car to get there. Now, when we have crashes at the start of a race, obviously the medical car is following them for the first lap. Um, it felt like an eternity for that car to get there with him in that car after that impact. Cal? Yeah, I believe it was a, a couple of minutes before it got there, but, you know, the safety, the medical car, sorry, you know, has to get around the circuit itself. It has no other choice. It has to get around the circuit itself as fast as it can. So it's a lot slower than an F1 car. So saying this, we're not shitting on the medical car whatsoever. They got there as fast as they could. It's just simply where the car ended up and where the medical car starts from it wasn't ideal but you know ollie i think you made a good point the other day i think we should have maybe a medical car for each sector on tracks like this especially like why not what's the harm i know they have two of each car two safety cars two medical cars why not use them both uh, absolutely and you know you there, there are different ways that you could have a safety you know in each sector um obviously they do an incredible job they got there but the marshals, and by the way, I don't blame the marshals. They don't want to go and step on that that circuit in Jeddah, right? And you don't know what's coming around the corner. And again, this is another safety concern of this track is it's blind most of the way. And yeah, you've got to be one brave man to put your foot down on there um, without knowing what's coming. So knocked out in Q2, we had um, anything else on Q2, James? Uh, George only just... Creeping through, it's probably worth yeah. mentioning. So for Q2, George Russell f- finished in 10th, so he only just got through. Um, K-Mag, I think we can start to expect good things from this man. He was in the top 10 again. Um, but knocked out Lance Stroll, Mick Schumacher, um, Zoe Guanyu, Daniel Ricciardo, Lando. So both McLarens out in Q2. It's an improvement from last week, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think they were saying as well that without a couple of mistakes from Lando, Lando could have potentially got into Q2. But Lando very quickly dismissed that and said that was based on other drivers making mistakes also. So they have improved dramatically from last week, but I still think they're quite a way off. Now, some qualifying sessions well, into Q3 can be a bit predictable. The way that it flows, you know, the pole lap's already set and tyres go off. This one was a good one. This was exciting till the very end. And did either of you predict the pole sitter? No. No. I didn't either. Um, so Sergio Perez set the fastest time right at the end um, with the two Ferraris behind. So that shows, and by the way, this is his first pole of his career. We know Perez isn't the uh, fastest on, on Saturdays, but that's a, it's a big moment for him, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's the lap of his career, absolutely. 215 races, and then he gets his first pole. I think that's the new record. 
by a long way as well. Uh, um, fantastic lap. He said it himself. He could do that again a thousand times and he wouldn't get that lap. So fair play to him for acknowledging that. But yeah, the fact that he managed to keep the two Ferraris at bay was a miracle for Red Bull, to be honest, because the Ferraris were stupidly quick again. Yeah, it, it was it was very close. Um, and for Perez to out-qualify Max, who was in P4, that, that, that it is it is special. It's not just getting pole; it's beating Max with him being in P4. It, it, it was a it was a performance. Um, behind behind rather Max, we had Ocon with Russell in sixth. So again, fighting for the top of that midfield. Uh, Fernando, Valtteri, Pierre, and uh, Pierre rather, and K Mag in P10. Anything else to add on qualifying? Yeah, Alpine were quicker than everyone thought they were going to be. That Renault engine is doing bits, isn't it? That was quick, really quick. I was shocked when Ocon picked P5, like fair play. Yeah, they kind of went under the radar a bit at Bahrain. Uh, they were, what, they finished... No, 7th and ninth, wasn't it? They finished 7th and ninth with all the drama going on. It, it kind of got forgotten with, you know, K-Mag and, and Valtteri being the real headlines. It was a solid start. But yeah, no, they've they've stepped up again and they honestly look like the third best car, I think, on average around around Saudi Arabia. Um, it's, yeah, you know, maybe it was the Mercedes. George kind of sailed off into a very lonely race, but they're they're definitely there fighting with them. And moving on to the race, thank God that they qualified in those positions because it, it it set us up for something special. So into this race, did either of you have any idea of how good this race could be? Yes and no. Um, I knew I knew it had the potential for spice, but I didn't think the actual racing would be as good as it was. The racing was next; it was probably the best I've ever actually witnessed live. To be fair. Last year was just full of controversy. It was uh, defined by safety cars. We had um, people picking grid positions. I mean, James, last year, what did you make of this Grand Prix? So what was your, what was your baseline for this? I think last year I said it was somewhere between the most exciting and the most embarrassing race I'd ever seen. Uh, yeah, the, the whole debacle of Massey forgetting that Ocon existed and debating about who was going to start where. It didn't look great. And then we obviously had the the whole brake check gate. Um, but yeah, it was the racing itself. I think we didn't really see anything behind Lewis and Max for most of last season's race. So it was hard to know much about the track beyond obviously the, the high drama at the front. Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I expected three Red flags, that's sort of the, the gauge that I'd got from the support races in F2. Um, and I thought the race would be defined by taking the pit stops at the right time. Um, but I was wrong, which is why I like this sport. Um, also, last year, track limits, you know, Max and Lewis pushing each other off. It all could have ended differently with simple decisions, but it didn't. So I wasn't too sure what to expect. But we... Had a fantastic race. Now, let's talk about the start. Um, Sergio Perez, he literally just went off. No drama at the start. Um, great start from Perez. Yeah, uh, great start from Perez. But Max took Carlos signs. That was such an important move for Max. 
And I believe K-Mag took a position on the first lap as well. Can't remember for the life of me who he took over, but it was a great move and I enjoyed it. It was in a, not in the usual place either. I believe it was like turn four or five. It was, it was, it looked dodgy. It was like, oh my God, first lap, he's thrown it in there. But fair play to him. He had balls that day. So was this, because if, if you look back at Bahrain, right, Verstappen and Perez swap places, do you think this was, right, okay, mate, it's my turn now. I'll show you how I do this. Because the two Ferraris didn't help each other, did they? Not as such. Carlos got a brilliant actual getaway from the line. But Leclerc's positioning of his car, trying to get past Perez and then sort of backing out, and he sort of half covered off Carlos by accident. And then that just opened the door for Verstappen. So it was accidental, but yeah, Charles massively shafted Carlos there. And also worth noting, Lewis, by the end of the first lap, was in 14th. I'll be honest, I didn't expect what was to follow from Lewis this weekend, based on what we'd seen. I'm not sure what could have changed from the car that much from qualifying, really. I mean, Lewis was the Lewis that we know today. He was making tyres that he wasn't comfortable with work and he was making places in a car that he said couldn't do it. Cam? He was fantastic. He really was. He he was pulling off some vintage Lewis Hamilton moves today in, in a car that, well, from what we've seen, shouldn't have been doing it. Um, he managed to switch on the hards and just kept on picking up places, picking up places, using the DRS to the best he could and Fair play to him, like, up until the latter stages of the race, he was actually my driver of the day, which is rare for me. He was very unlucky as well. and We'll come on to that later, I'm guessing. But, yeah, he he was a few metres and a few seconds away, probably from, yeah, uh, an even higher position than he finished in. So just, just sort of key points of the race that stick out to me, obviously, the battle between the two Alpines, uh, Alonso and Ocon. This was absolutely fantastic. I, I, have not, I can't recall a battle like that between teammates for a long time. Cal? Can I just say it was really nice watching two drivers racing like that and not having my heart in my mouth? not being a fan of one of them, just enjoying the racing. Like, it was fantastic. Alonso put him in his place in the end, though, didn't he? He sort yeah. of said, right, get back in your box, Ocon. Like, he he did. Mine. But do you think he was annoyed by when it started? So, to your teammate, Ocon was going to pass him, right, down the home straight. And he did a late move. I, that would That was terrifying to watch. I mean, James... Do you think that was something that you do to your teammate? Do you think it was an accident? I mean, Ocon, to describe this for people who haven't seen it yet, um, Alonso's clearly going past him and he moves him to the pit wall. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was it was a move kind of the, from the Max 2016 school of defending, wasn't it? The On a, on a in a straight line and then he's, def- he's kind of picked his side and then he's realised, oh, there's just about a gap there and he's jinked a little bit left probably a bit too late. Uh yeah, it was it was very borderline putting aside the fact it's your teammate. So I think they'll I mean, I know that uh, Crofty spoke to Otmar Safnauer and said he was he he had they hadn't spoken to them and they were letting them get on with it. But I imagine there'll be a little word in his ear from Otmar and Fernando probably about that. It was I don't think there was malice in it, but yeah, it, it could have been a bit smoother. 
I would have loved to hear the team radio from Alonso just after that, because it was close. I mean, those lightning reactions prevented a, quite a big incident, didn't they, Cal? Yeah, and I mean, this is probably one of the strongest races I've seen Ocon drive. Like, forgetting his win in Hungary, like, he was strong today, and Fernando Alonso is not someone you battle like that with without being decent. You know, that Alpine is obviously a very good car, and Ocon is happy with it, so... We might even see Alpine on the podium this year. So this led to, uh, give or take, five to seven laps of real gloves-off battling between the two of them. And I I feel that Alonso must have been very heated in that particular moment. Um, And he he needed to show Ocon that he's a double world champion. But like you've just said, Cal, I've not seen Ocon fight like that before. It was, it, it was incredible. And what's your thoughts on the team letting them do this? Because it's not, it's not the sensible option to let your, your, your drivers go at it the way that they were. It's the start of the season. They're finding out what the pecking order is. Let them crack on. You know, there's still time to make up points if it goes wrong. The risk versus reward isn't quite there yet. So for me, yeah, brilliant. Let them crack on. Otmar made the correct decision. Even though his, you know, his heart was probably in his mouth for most of it, I think that's them sort of finding out what the pecking order is. Ocon got put in his place. Fair enough, you know. They battled it out. They didn't crash. Brilliant racing for the viewers. They're really showing what the car can do as well. You know, fair play. And also genius from a business sense because I think it was Crofty who said it. This is the most airtime we've had with those cars, and let's be honest, that's why we watch racing for fantastic battles like that. Where should we go with the next point? The the actual battle Ocon and Alonso were having, it needed to be over quicker than it was, I must say, because Bottas really got put, brought into play and Bottas actually split them up at one point. I believe at some point Ocon was told to hold position once Alonso got past. Don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure, but then Bottas actually got Ocon at one point. They brought him into play and he got that position. So maybe they'll learn from that and maybe not let it go on for as long as they did next time. I I feel, um, James, I want your opinion on this. It's only the second race of the new era of Formula One. And because we live and breathe it, it feels like it's been around for years now. But this battle was the first, well, the second real proof that these changes have worked because they battled for more than three corners. Um, this was what F1's about. They made the right decision. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no, it, it's more good signs for the changes that they made. I mean, we saw that throughout the race. There was a lot of battling. Part of it is kind of down to the the layout of those last, well, the, the final straight and then the, the start-finish straight and where the DRS is. But yeah, they can visibly follow each other better close more closely and through the high speed stuff they're not sliding and just getting that extra you know three four tenths that was the problem historically in this in this era and just getting close enough to actually have a proper fight then again for a few laps back and forth sometimes so the actual track layout turned out to be what uh, sort of defined this race in, in terms of the tactics of where you mount the attack and how you save it. Um, as viewers, we were learning this watching uh, Alonso and Ocon. So we could see, right, okay, that didn't work. And they, they adjusted their strategies. Um, 
there needed to be some intelligent driving done in this race, which ended up defining the race. Do you think that that intelligent driving defined this race, Cal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, fair play to them for working it out. I can't imagine it was something that was heavily discussed pre-race because they wouldn't have really had the DRS overtaking opportunities before that. So they were learning on the cuff, off the cuff, sorry. And we saw it with uh, Magnussen and Hamilton as well. They were having a right good scrap. And fair play to Magnussen. He worked it out, got past Hamilton. But Hamilton then learned from Magnussen and... You know, it, it worked the other way. So, yeah, it was it was a battle of wits. It was a game of chess, as I believe Crofty called it. I, I don't know why they haven't moved it after last year. They saw from Lewis and Max, it couldn't have been much more clearly demonstrated the problem with that DRS line. And yeah, it's kind of entertaining and yeah, it can be a chess match, but it looks stupid and it's dangerous when you have dri- drivers breaking. I mean, to the point of locking up Charles and Max next to each other, trying not to cross a line first. It's just, it's stupid. It would be a very simple solution to just put it after that corner. You get the same effect. I don't, I honestly don't know why it's there. I don't understand it. But one thing I thought was brilliant was K-Mag outsmarted Lewis Hamilton in this particular area. And to see Kevin Magnussen get overtaken and then overtake Lewis Hamilton... It was incredible. And it, that was the tactics that Lewis hadn't thought ahead about. And you would think of all people, he would know that. So it, it was game plan. And you've got to say, again, we, we, we talk all week about Haas, but to be, to be overtaken a Mercedes genuinely is just a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a mile away from 2021, aren't they? But yeah, I, I, don't, I, I think Lewis realised what was happening, but there, there was... Again, without slamming on the brakes, and I think after last year, he's probably got some PTSD from that whole yeah incident. I think he just probably, he'd done it on Lando, what, a couple of laps before and then managed to stay ahead of him. So obviously, you don't really know what the person's going to do, whether they're going to back off that much. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kev- Kevin was the first to to pull that move this this race. So hats and, off and- to him. And he quickly learned, okay, the Haas aren't a car that I can now just drive away from. And I believe it was the next lap. He lifted off the accelerator rather than overtaking Kevin Mag in that area. So, yeah, it, very, very interesting. So in terms of retirements from this race, there were a few compared to last week. Um, it all started with, dare I say it again, Latifi in the wall. Yeah, I mean, this time he came on the radio again and he said, oh, I don't know what happened there, man. You binned it, mate. Um, there's no other way to say it. So that brought out the safety car. I believe Perez had just pitted. Was yeah. it a full? Sorry, was it a full safety car or a virtual safety car? Yeah, I think it was a virtual for like a few seconds, and then suddenly the the safety car was there waiting at the yeah, front. It was about thirty seconds, which also uh, I'll hand it back. But we need to talk about why that wasn't a red flag. Okay, so it was a virtual safety car initially, then got brought out to be a full safety car. But basically, Perez had just pitted. And then he got caught up in the traffic, obviously he had to slow his pace down. So that meant he came back onto the racing line, or into the race, if you like, in fourth. He was leading the race. He got completely shafted by this. Obviously, not on purpose, by no one's fault. But then, as he was coming past, as the start-finish line and signs was emerging from the pits, uh, there was a little bit of a 
controversial incident there, shall we say. I don't personally agree with what happened, but I believe James would be better to explain it. Well, just before I got onto that, yeah, it's it's very unfortunate for Checo. It's horrible timing. It's, I mean, it, it's it's pretty much what Latifi's becoming known for is, you know, unfortunately timed crashes. And I think Checo can join Lewis in whatever kind of support group he's set up about, you know, Latifi crashes. And I think, yeah, Christian's probably going to be sending a return label out for all those crates of red bully sent after Abu Dhabi, isn't he? He's defining the world championship, this man. Yeah, he's finding a way. Uh, but yes, uh, so then Checo came back out uh, and, sorry, and then Carlos came back out having the top three then stopped under the safety car just the next, the very next lap. And yeah, Carlos and Checo emerged basically side by side. Checo was ahead when they came together on the track uh, and basically, you know, not ran him off the road. That's what Carlos said, which was obviously a little bit extreme, but just took the racing line and Carlos had nowhere to go. But the the issue boiled down to the, the safety car restart line and the fact that coming out of the pits, Carlos was slightly ahead and he made it clear to those on the radio that he should be ahead. So first of all, fair play to Carlos for spotting that. Like How he spotted that, I will never know, but fair play. Because his team didn't spot that, he did. Because he, came only, out, because he was in second and he thought, I don't like this. Yeah, yeah. The, the only gripe I have with it is the fact that he was coming out of the pit lane, rejoining the circuit, and it wasn't a case of... Perez didn't really have a choice in what was going on there. He came around the court, he came into turn one, he wasn't to know, he's gone past him. Is it fair to make Perez give the position up? I wouldn't say it is because he's none the wiser. No one really knew. So I understand it's the rules and I'm not debating that they shouldn't have swapped places. I just feel like it was a bit unfair and unjust. It's kind of dependent on the layout of the, the track and the pit lane, isn't it? And obviously they have to have a rule for season round and not each circuit because that would be madness. And yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing really. Checo didn't do anything wrong. And yeah, he, he he's not going to, when it's that close as well, and obviously, you know, a few feet in it, he's not going to break and go, yeah, you, you first, Carlos, I think you were maybe just slightly, he's not looking, he's looking at the apex. But yeah, I don't know, the, like you say, the rules are the rules and whether or not it's, you should give right to the person already on the track, you, you can't really, that's too grey an area. Whoever gets to that line first has to remain ahead and yeah, I think they should have then swapped them under the safety car. I don't understand why they didn't. So Perez went from first, leading the race, doing a cracking job, may I add, before the safety car. And then after it, he was sat in fourth. Um, oh no, sorry. Up, up until the restart, he was in third, but then immediately gave the position back to Carlos. I'm a bit concerned about this situation, right? What's happened to this VAR video assistant that we were promised? Because this is exactly where it would be applied. And it's exactly, sorry. Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on, James. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I, I thought that whilst watching it. It was such an easy decision. This isn't a steward's kind of looking at multiple angles and it's who got to the line first. And, you know, Crofty saw it 30 seconds later and said, yeah, he was, he was five feet ahead or something. That's it. Tell him to swap positions and then everyone can go racing at the green light and not worry about giving positions back. And we were under safety car, which means it's very easy to swap. You don't need to give penalties um, because swapping cars is obviously complicated in race scenarios. 
F1, you've let us down in the first point that we needed it. And I'm just reading, a, I've just pulled up a, a, the, what they promised us. And it was a video assistant referee system. And it says to review and analyse key moments in the Grand Prix. Right. And if if we don't think that they were at least notified of this to look into, it's failed. Cal? Well, the fact that the team sort of sorted it amongst themselves says quite a bit, doesn't it? I believe Red Bull just said, well, we don't want to risk a penalty, let him through on the restart. Fair enough to Red Bull, like they, they didn't need to do that. They could have waited until the stewards got involved and sorted it out, but they just said, no, we'll give it back just in case. We don't want a time penalty. Fair play to them. And like I said initially, fair play to Carlos for spotting it because I don't think anyone else would have done if he didn't. I saw it mentioned that I think the the new race directors are going to be trying to leave it to the teams to work it out work it out amongst themselves a bit more this season, which I find a bit strange. It just that's that's your job, mate. That, like, why are you leaving? It's just going to be complicated. I get it. You know, within teams certainly. You know, when it's Fernando and Esteban, let you know, let them work it out within the team. But something like this, it shouldn't be Red Bull contacting Ferrari saying, "Oh, do you want the place back?" Yeah, I mean, that's never going to work if we get heated like we did last season. Red Bull are never going to give that to Mercedes and vice versa. So it's a bit of an odd one. Maybe it's to take away from people like Michael Massey buckling under the pressure, perhaps. But, you know, that's their job. That's what they're paid for. So you can't leave it down to the teams to sort that out. Um, Noticeable quote from Perez. Uh, Just... just just for the listeners, we are recording this straight after the, the chequered flag. So uh, it's all developing in the background. Um, but Perez has said we did everything we possibly can. Um, and he said, unfortunately, Latifi put it in the wall. It was a wrong time for me, but this is racing. I like that. I like what, that. What can you say, though? <laughs> yeah, they probably say? prepared that after last year. They, they don't want him coming out and saying, oh, Latifi, what's he doing putting it in the wall? He shouldn't be, a, yeah. <laughs> I would like to just discuss the safety car and the red flag usage. Um, this this Latifi crash, for me, was a red flag. Car on track, couldn't remove it. Um, virtual safety car for too long. Real safety car. Um, this was the definition of what a red flag is for, in my opinion. Cal? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that car was in a dodgy position. It was at the end of a high-speed straight. It shouldn't have been there. That should have been at least, you know, full safety car straight away. At a bare minimum. So, all right, no one got hurt, nothing happened. They cleared it up and we carried on racing. But, yeah, it, it didn't sit right with me either, that one. I don't think the precedent is for a red flag. I, I know what you're saying, but I think it, it 100% should have been a full safety car immediately. That was like blindingly obvious but the red flags tend to be for repairs to to the wall and I don't think that was needed it was just a it's a concrete wall I think he's hit so I think it's just a case of removing the car from the track and at that point as long as you've got a safety car and everyone's bunched up that's when they get that done yeah and I get that but I think you know on a street circuit say if that happened in Monaco tight you've got you've got a red flag it's not even safe with the safety car going past so that there's 
certain circuits where I think a red flag will need to be used, even if there's no repairs to be made, if that makes sense. I mean, they've managed it for 70 years, though, at Monaco. And we don't want that many red flags. Like, you know, there was one every year, like historically, until recent times. And obviously, yeah, that's generally, I would say, definitely a good thing. And, you know, it's all the push for safety. But I don't think every time someone bins it on a street track, you can be pulling a red flag and re- restarting with another standing start. Yeah, I suppose I'm just sort of, you know, basing it on last year where the red flag helped was stopping out a few times. <laughs> Probably more than anything else. (laughs) So the red flag regulations, I've just pulled these up. Um, Weather. Driver can't get out of the car on his own. Um, Fire. Removing a stopped car provides danger to the people that are doing it. Um, And a stopped car blocks the track. Safety equipment, obviously, James, you've mentioned, and other things such as the, the, the medical helicopter can't fly. Um, the car was on the track, and we also had heavy equipment removing it. Now, I did, I did, you know, refer back to what happened in uh, Suzuka, um, where you know things can collide, and that tractor was on the track. Yeah, with with all it was, it was still under yellows. Double, fl- double waved yellows, which is astonishing looking back. It's only eight, seven, eight years ago. And the fact that they were still racing with a, a Jason, I mean, Martin Brundle had been saying it for years. But yeah, it's no one really should be binning it under the safety car on the last corner. But we've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah, brake on. on in Baku. Brake failures, you know, there, there, yeah. are, there are other things at force. And and weather was obviously what, what, what caused it in Suzuka, amongst other things. But I just thought they were a little bit too close together. I think the main thing is take all of the risk out of it, for me. Like, if there's a, even a slight chance someone could lose the car and hit Latifi or the crew recovering it, take take that risk away. Like, what's the point in leaving it there, for me? I understand they want to get the race going as quick again as possible, that there is a line, there is things they need to crack on with. It's one of them, isn't it? I'm sure it was perfectly safe, but based on history, we're obviously all going to have our concerns. Yeah, and it, and it was perfectly safe. And Bert Mylander literally went past there at about two miles per hour. Um, so it, it was managed. It's just, again, we're seeing different things this year that we wouldn't normally see. So just pointing it out. Other retirements, Cal? Yeah, um, I think the first one was Fernando Alonso. Um, he had this thing flashing up on his steering wheel saying, cool the car down. Um, basically, he'd overheated the car. I don't know how. Um, I think at the time he wasn't really battling with anyone that closely. I'm not sure. Uh, I can't really recall. But it was lap 38. Um, he managed to go very slowly all the way up to the pit lane. Now, the problem with this was that on the same lap, Daniel Ricciardo had another issue. He had no drive, and he just sort of rolled into the start of the pit lane entry. Um, at the same time as this, Bottas had pitted twice, and he retired within the pits. So on the same lap, or within two laps, we had three cars retire for different various different reasons, which was a bit of a freak occurrence. Um but the main point of this is that they were under VSC. There was people pushing Ricardo's car from the pit lane entry into the pit lane. 
on track under VSC. That was unsafe. I don't care what anyone says about that. That should have been a safety car. Um, and then obviously the pit lane entry closed, which in turn shafted Lewis Hamilton, who I believe was running seventh at the time, but hadn't pitted. So this is where things started going wrong for Hamilton. But the pit lane didn't close very quickly. So it was the Flintstones, basically, um, around that area of the circuit. you got people running around with no power. Um, I th- Lewis didn't pit. The, 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 the pit lane was open when Lewis was going past it. Bit of radio communication confusion. Lewis is seeing a stop car there. He could have gone in and, again, could have been very dangerous. I think we, we heard a bit of the, the radio during the race of Lewis and, and Bono. And then I've heard a little bit more after. It's, it was just a very, very tight call. And they've obviously said box, box to him, I think literally a couple of hundred metres after he's passed the entry. You can understand after Monza 2020 why Lewis would have you know, reservations about going yeah. in when he thinks that it might be about to, to cross the, yeah, to be about, about to be closed. And I'll be interested to see K-Mag's on board of how he gets in because he was yeah I think Lewis was sixth and K-Mag was seventh at this point and he came in just after and just before the the pit lane closed as did Hulk and it looked like there was barely a gap there between where Daniel's car was and bearing in mind you're not allowed to cross the the pit lane entry line I I don't know how he's managed to get through and I like to see the onboard of that uh, and yeah it's it's unfortunate for Lewis because, yeah, if they'd broken down, like I said, a few feet further back up the road or a, a few seconds earlier, then he probably, I think he could have been on even for sixth or seventh this race. Yeah, Lewis was having a cracking race up until that point and touching on not crossing the pit entry line. Yeah, I'd like to see that as well. I think K-Mug must have really slowed down on the straight just to get it turned in and tucked in before the line approached him. Same with Hulk. And I think Lewis, I think Lewis probably made the morally right call not to go in um, off his own back. But ultimately, it, it shafted his race. He finished 10th in the end, I believe, and he, he could have had sixth easily. I think the fact that the pit lane wasn't closed at that point is a bit of a joke. It took them a long time under VSC before they closed it when there were two cars parked in it and there was already marshals trying to move them. I I was astonished it took, what, over a lap, if not two maybe? Yeah, considering last year's events at Saudi, you'd think the stewards and the race directors would be on everything straight away, but they seem to be sleeping on a lot of decisions this year. Maybe they, they're trying to take their time, which I appreciate, as a fan, I don't want rash decisions, but at the same time, when it comes to stuff like this, it's a clear and obvious decision. There's two cars being pushed by marshals into the pit lane. Fucking close it. Do that you th- simple. Do you think they've put so much process in now into race control where before it was, what do you think, mate? Yeah, okay, right, let's do that. Now it's, right, we think this, we need to get it checked with the other guy. Um, right, review that footage. Where is he on track? And before you know it, you've got a car coming into the pits at 100 miles an hour next to people standing on the track. Do you, do you think that could be the problem? I'm trying to think of why they wouldn't do these things. You can only assume that that is what it is. There's too much process, um, but there needs to be a filter where there is a clear and obvious decision. Surely one man can make that decision. There's two cars sat in your pit lane entry with marshals around them trying to push them in. 
That is a no-brainer. Close the pit lane. It is that simple. That doesn't take a team of people to go through processes to decide that. Alex Albon has been given a three three place grid penalty for the next race, uh, and two penalty points uh, on his license for that. Rightly so. That was a bad do from Albon. Probably the one of the only incidents during the race where it was just poor driving, other than Latifi winning it. Other than that, all twenty drivers, sorry, eighteen drivers, because obviously Sonoda didn't start due to issues, and Mick Schumacher never started because of yesterday's events. Absolutely stellar racing from the whole grid, really, today on the whole. The one thing I'll say there, like, to play a little bit devil's advocate is it seems to happen to Stroll a lot, this. I agree that, yeah, it was this one was on Alex and the, the penalty is the right decision. But Lance quite often accuses people of dive-bombing him. It's happened. I think it happened also in the race last year. I don't think he's great at spotting people coming up the inside and then trying to give them space and stay ahead. Yeah, I think it was just a couple of laps before Hamilton actually did it to him. Not dive-bombed him, as, as Stroll would say, but he, he went into turn one with him and Stroll defended the corner quite well. And But they both came out of it the other side, so it was probably a little bit of naivety from Albon, thinking he could take it. But I also agree with James there. Stroll needs to check his mirrors a little bit more often, I think, especially going into turn one under a heavy braking zone. So when we restarted, well, restarted the, the, the race towards the end of it after um, the safety car, we got a little bit of spicy action. And when I say a little bit, that is me playing this completely down. This was some of the best racing that I've seen in a long time. And it was between Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, who are going to be fighting this out for the rest of the year. But there was no touching. There was no pushing each other off track. This was beautiful racing, and I loved every minute. Cal, how did this make you feel? Um, in a word, terrified. I, I I was watching it. My heart was in my mouth. You know what I'm like, Ollie? I sit there. I'm quite relaxed during a race. Don't really make much noise or movement. But, my God, I was sat there. I was going, go on, Max. Take him. Get him. It was absolutely horrible. I knew he could do it, but it took a few laps, didn't it? It took it took a few laps. Fair play to Charles as well. Like he's he's not been around for a couple of years due to the car not being there, but it, it's not clearly not hindered his development or his skill or anything like that. He is he is up there. He's great. But it, it was some of the best racing I've seen from Max Verstappen in terms of. Um, I'm not. Etiquette. I'm not. I'm not, yes, etiquette is the word that I'm saying. He He's not the same driver. And again, back to the last race, this isn't the Max Verstappen that we know. This is a mature Max Verstappen. And I, I really like it. Yeah, there, there was a moment for me where I saw this in particular was where they both locked up into the final turn because they were trying the old DRS trick, which obviously they're going to do because they, they needed the DRS to pass each other. But Max failed a couple of times where he even actually got past him in that final corner and went for it, but Leclerc took it back with the DRS. Max learned from that, but didn't... All right, on the radio, it might have come across that he lost his head a little bit, but he actually regained control of himself, made the move stick, and went on and, and took the position in a fair way, 
without losing his head, without crashing the car or anything like that. It was fantastic. And I dare even say last season, that would have been a very, very different result. It was great racing. They picked up where they left off in, in Bahrain, really, didn't they? Um, I would say, I, I think I was more impressed overall with Charles. I think he, I think Max should have got past earlier. I think Charles made that battle last probably longer than he had any right to. I'm not sure why Max had the extra speed at the end of the race. I don't know if maybe Charles just cooked his tyres a bit. Um, but no, it was it was, it was was good to see. Uh, I think, I, I will say, I'll play devil's advocate again and say that I think that there's been a lot said about Max's maturity on this race. And I think he was still getting a bit het up. Uh, and it's, you know, it's early in the season. So I'm not expecting a totally different Max just yet. He, he was het up, but you didn't see it through his driving. That's true. True. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. He's managing to remain in control of the car. He's not letting his emotions take over his driving, which is the main thing. Fair enough, shout and scream all day on the radio, but control the car. And they did that, and fair play. As for Leclerc making the battle hard for Max and Max having the pace at the end of the race, I think Leclerc was so mighty through sector one. It was three or four tenths a lap where he was just pulling out and then Max was having to make it up in sector two and three. Um, Max was, I think, for a good two or three, maybe four or five laps, just harvesting energy, collecting all that energy so then he could make his move in the last two or three laps and it, it paid off, clearly. He had enough to just keep up with him in sector one to get close enough to make that move and make it stick. It was just a game of chess. So should racing be a game of chess? I just want to touch on the DRS thing because there were cars that didn't have DRS but still overtook well, or got close to it during the race. Um, as James has previously said, the DRS zones could potentially or shouldn't have been in those positions. But should DRS be reduced? Is it now creating that game of chess? We want to see racing. We don't want to see a car just sitting there, open the back flap and a guaranteed position. That That's... That the DRS was brought in to solve the aero problems, right? It was, but I think from what I've seen so far, the DRS is adding a different dynamic to what it has in the past. It's become more powerful because these cars can follow each other so closely. You sort of need it in a way to get past, unless your engine is completely more power, so much more powerful. The Red Bull is, what, 10 kilometres an hour faster on the straight than the Ferrari? Yeah, he wasn't getting close. So for the show, for the actual enjoyment of the fans, we sort of need the DRS. Um, and as for the game of chess, yeah, I fully enjoyed it. I think, like we said, we, like we touched on before, they learned this as the race was developing. It's a tactic. Use it. Yeah, I think... They've they've said about it being or the slipstream being less effective this year as well through the the error regulation. So I think it is necessary to they can stay closer, but I think potentially without the DRS they wouldn't quite get there. Uh, it certainly hasn't hasn't felt too overpowered yet, but we've got a pretty small kind of sample to to select from so far with the two races. I, I didn't feel like there are some races in the past where you felt it's definitely overpowered and it was just killing battles but you know we've we've had two races full of great battles so I think as it is now it, it seems fine do you think and this is an open question here I'm not trying to it's not loaded um do you think that the one second window is enough 
Or would you like to see that extended? I wouldn't like to see it extended because when lots of cars are close to each other, you eliminate the DRS, the point of it, right? Because it, obviously, I think to get to that one second window is your achievement. And then you you get the reward. I, I It can't be any less, but I don't think it should be any more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they've it's actually pretty much spot on, despite obviously just being a random arbitrary number they picked and it just being a round number it's you know, how often and i'm sure a part of it's obviously drivers keeping the the guy following at arm's length but how many times do we see them kind of 1.1 1.2 and not quite able to get there and then when they do get there able to either just about pass or not quite pass so yeah i think it's it's pretty much bang on yeah the reason for the question was because it is just a round number that it just it's not like scientific it's been, is it yeah it just feels like it's been plucked out of thin air and with the new regulations maybe they could have tweaked the distance a bit but fair enough i found it interesting at the start of this race so the the top four were very close together and again this sort of leads into drs they're keeping a sort of two and a half second gap consistently so if one of them wanted to push they could clearly close it because they're managing that um that then becomes the challenge is, is, right, I'm pushing now. And you get to the 1.2s and then you've, you, you know, in previous seasons, ah, oh, right, I've buggered it now. And that will, that will pain you for the rest of the race. I think it's, I think it's great um, in that aspect. I'm just wondering if it's changing racing, which, which clearly it is this year. I love, sorry. Sorry, go, 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 go. I, I personally love it. I'm loving the new reg so far. I'm loving the influence the DRS is having. I'm loving the tactics. I'm loving the chess match. Today's race was genuinely one of the best I've seen for a long time in terms of actual raw racing and not that much drama. Um, fact, yeah, I'm loving it. Can't get enough. So the the battle went to the final corner. The, the It was half a second they finished within each other, if I'm right. Yeah, and maybe not even that. Yeah, it was either half a second or more. But um, Max Verstappen timed his attack right and he just held on to it. And to have a, a race finish that close, I, I, I just thought it was it was a special race. And given everything that had happened over this weekend, I was ready to hate this race. And it's also taught us that this season is going to be Ferrari versus Red Bull. Red Bull both finished after, obviously, a double DNF last week. At the moment, the challenge is on, and Max has proved today that Ferrari aren't untouchable. And this really sets up for something special. Yeah, absolutely. The The season is, is truly going to be a season-long battle. Like Already I'm thinking, right, well, Monza's going to be a Red Bull track this year. But then you, you're going to go to places like the Hungara Ring, which is going to suit the Ferrari massively. They're probably going to win by 30 seconds there. But, yeah, it's going to really basically dial down to the fact, well, how many tracks suit downforce compared to how many tracks suit outright power? And once we find that out at the end of the season, we'll know who's the winner. I think that's literally what it's going to boil down to. Uh, James, do you think this will be a season-long battle or do you think one will outdevelop the other? I hope so. I hope we don't see Ferrari fall off in the second half of the season as they've done in in the big battles of Lewis versus Seb 2017 and 18 uh I hope it I hope that they, these two stay very evenly matched 
and you know we'll just see the the pendulum swing as we saw last year uh, and go right through to the end and I, I'd love to see uh, uh, anyone but I mean, it does still seem for all their, their struggles that Merck will be the most likely to get a bit closer and make it three at the front. And we can have something more like a 2012 with uh, where we had the McLaren, Red Bull and Ferrari. I think that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And my, my only gripe I've got so far is the fact that even with the new regs, it's still two teams that are a clear cut above the rest. I was hoping that third, fourth, fifth, the midfield basically would be a lot closer to the front, but they're not, and that is that is a massive shame. But hopefully, you know, in the years to come, it will become a lot closer. Everyone wanted someone to take out Mercedes' dominance, but I think I agree with you, Cal. I, I would like them to still be in the mix because they've got two very strong drivers, potentially the strongest driver lineup on that grid, which can't now compare against those. So I'd love to see the Ferrari boys versus Max Verstappen. Sorry, Perez, I didn't mean it that, that badly. Um, Leclerc, essentially Verstappen, and either George or Hamilton. That's what, that's what I would want to see. I'm going to call you out there for not including Perez because he was leading that race today in... in- he was controlling it, mate. Like he don't underestimate him, man. He's and, and to call myself out, I also forgot that I'd love to see Lando in there as well. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit spaced at the moment. James, do you think there, there's potential here? I mean, Lewis has just been quoted saying, um, "Well, he's very disappointed with his finish," and he said, "Is there even a point for coming tenth?" Ooh, kind of, kind of shows uh, the level he's been at for quite a long time that he's forgotten what the the lower reaches of the top ten are. Even the the scoring points are, but yeah, uh, it is pretty much like we've swapped the last year's black cars for the red cars. Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's a long, long, long season to go yet, and we've seen yeah only two. I'm not sure, fairly different tracks, but probably not different enough. Like you, like Cal said, there's there wasn't a Hungara ring. There's not a Monza in there. It, there's plenty to ebb and flow yet and we'll get like such rapid updates surely in the next few weeks as they can actually bring them to the the European circuits particularly. Yeah, I mean, we're at Melbourne next. Now, I'm just trying to remember what it's even like because we've not been there for so long. But I think this is going to be similar to Bahrain and Saudi in the sense that both power and downforce have their advantages around Melbourne. So I think we're going to see another pretty close race there. Hopefully, anyway. I'd never forget Melbourne because it's on all the F1 games for the past God knows how long. It's the first race. So you end up doing it about 10 times to get the good start for the season, right? That's just what I've done. Right, okay, I finished eighth. That's not going to get me to the end of the season. We've got to start again. I know Melbourne like the back of my hand. Um, And I'm really looking forward to going back to Australia. We've missed it for two years. Two years. I'm just absolutely gutted that Danny Rick isn't in a position to compete in Melbourne. Hopefully they can they can scrape the points, you know, Lando did today and hopefully Danny Rick can as well because that would be a big achievement for him is to get into the points in that McLaren at the moment and I hope he can do it there because that's the reason we're going back in it, you know. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about the next race, let's just finish with this podium. Max Verstappen won and I've just checked my details. It was uh, 0.54 seconds that Leclerc finished behind, which is incredibly, incredibly close. Um, Carlos Sainz finished in third, eight seconds behind. Um, I've seen a bit of social media stuff saying it's very strange how much 
praise Max is giving to Leclerc compared to the respect he's shown to other drivers in the past. Did you notice that? I mean, I hadn't, but I'm just reading fan reactions. Well, they grew up karting together, didn't they? This, this rivalry, as Sky Sports very nicely touched on, was has been going for ten, even long, ten years, even longer. So, yes, they've had their skirmishes in the past, but the respect has always been there because they've watched each other grow, they've watched each other develop, they've both come through at a similar time, and they've both done really well so far in their F1 careers. So, of course, you're going to respect that. It's it's similar to a, a Lewis and Nico situation which well we all know how that ended so hopefully it can they can play nice for a bit longer but I can't see it lasting to be honest you led me perfectly into the point I was about to make uh which is yeah I think I'm just gonna I stand to be proven wrong but I think it's just a case of it being early in the season you know how long did Lewis and Max stay very, very civil last year? Yes, you're pretty much till Silverstone. You're absolutely and bang on. I forgot about the start of the season where yeah. they were going, well done. Oh, that was a great drive. What you did there. I, you know, it, it's very easy to forget things, isn't it? Yeah. And I think if this does remain really finely balanced for the rest of the year, then that's, it's going to get very touchy. And I think we've, with you saying the exact point that you said about them being similar generations, I think that gives it a, a bigger reason for it to be even, you know, yeah, more heated as the season goes on. Yeah, and I, I hate to say it, but I, I think Max will be the one to stir the pot because I think Leclerc's, he's got a bit of class about him. You know, his radio message at the finish line was, that was nice. Even as a Max fan, I was like, oh, what a guy. You know, and <laughs> I, I, th- I honestly think it'll be Max that stirs the pot and I don't know if Leclerc's got that, that grit about him just to come back and really be like, you know what, that's, no, I'm not, I'm not happy with that. Totally or will he show his belly? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Max loves to say that he doesn't get involved in the drama, but he definitely did last year. He's got the two biggest shit stirrers in the sport behind him, fanning the flames and telling him he's right. And... I don't know. I've only seen it mentioned on Reddit, so this could be totally wrong. But I saw, apparently his team radio was something along the lines of, I told you that it Lewis was the issue last year. That was good racing or something. Now, I, if that's true, then that's that's pretty inflammatory to be saying when he's not even involved. But we'll see. I, that could just be someone just making something up on, on social media, which is normally the case. Um, As we mentioned, Perez finished P4 with George Russell in fifth, um, Ocon in sixth with Lando behind in P7. I feel like we haven't even mentioned anything to do with McLaren in this race, but that's not bad considering where they have been. A P7 result is strong. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously it was fortunate with the DNFs and the retirements and stuff, but yeah, he's got to take that and run with it honestly, because that car is not a P7 car and he's put it there, so fair play to Lando. It's it's not. Yeah, no, and he was only just out-dragged by Ocon on the run to the line, wasn't he? He was you know, a tenth or so behind. Uh, so, yeah, and it could have been P6. And I hope, I hope they do find that they get a lot closer to the front. They said that Bahrain was particularly bad for them. So Melbourne's a bit closer to Barcelona, so maybe they can be more consistently in the points. I hope so, but I do feel like the Mercedes engine is massively underpowered at the moment compared to where it it has been historically. So 
you know, McLaren have also got that battle as well as the power unit. And as we've seen today with Ricardo, it's proven it's not the most reliable either. Um, maybe more reliable than the Red Bull powertrain, but it's still not 100% reliable, is it? And Gasly behind uh, Lando and K-Mag in P9 beating Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> I just love it. I just have to say that bit. Um, Guan Yu Zhou, sorry, Zhou Guan Yu, P11. Cal, before the race, you said, he, he, he's got something, this guy. And I said to you, he's in the right place perfectly at the right time because he expected to be at the back of the grid, I would have thought. Absolutely. You know, all right, it's only two races in. We can't get ahead of ourselves, but in Bahrain, he picked up a point and this time he's finished P11. So considering where he started as well in this race, let's not forget, he dropped right back at the start because the Alpha seems to have an issue with pulling off from the grid. I don't know what it is, but to get himself up to P11, like fair play to the guy he kept his head he did his work and he brilliant race from him and he had a five second stop which they failed to do had to swap over the jack and then he got a drive through so I, I honestly I think yeah and yeah. obviously the, the fight at the front I don't know how he's ended up in 11th maybe the, the safety car played into his hands in the end but he's, he's yeah I was, I was surprised I, to see him there I, I was just scratching my head over some of these results and, and we must remember there were six retirements which displaces people right because Nico Hulkenberg Deserves an honourable mention as well. P12, not bad. Yeah, I mean, there was a point during the race where he was a sitting duck and he was getting overtaken for fun. But yeah, you got to give credit to the guy for even getting in the car, haven't you? I bet his neck is killing him right now. Yeah, I think I, I can. I wouldn't have guessed that there were only thirteen finishes. That surprised me actually, just looking at the result. But I'm guessing a part of that is that Sonoda didn't start it, neither did Mick. So we only had 18 to begin with. Uh, yes. Yeah, another another good point there. And one thing that's come out since the race has ended is the problems Gasly was ha- having with, with his stomach, his internals. He, he's been quoted as, he was screaming in pain during the Saudi GP. Right, bloody hell, I didn't realise that. But that would make a lot of sense. He, he looked unusually slow for Gasly stand, especially compared to last week. You know, we saw a lot of pace in that car. Yeah, P8 today, if he if he was in pain, like he's saying, then fair enough. You know, P8's not a bad result, is it? And I think if Sonoda was in the race, then maybe he might have retired then. But fair play to him for sticking with it and keeping going mm-hmm. for he, the team. You know, he's literally said, I thought I was dying in the car screaming. And he said, I've never felt pain like it. Um, every turn... It felt like someone was stabbing me. That's that's not very nice, is it? I, I, I'd probably pull over if it were me. I hope it's just a case of some dodgy falafel. I don't, what do they, <laughs> they eat? I don't know what they eat in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he has seen a doctor since, by the way, just to add, I probably should have put this bit first. Um, he has seen a doctor. He's okay, but they're looking into it. it they don't know what it is yet, but... It's probably those G-forces with falafel in your stomach, as uh, James has yeah. concluded. So this was a great weekend. Let's let's talk about drivers of the day, race ratings. I'm going to pull up our fans' race rating. So this is this was a poll done in the Formula Nerd Facebook group. Um, you can join in if you want. Um, out of ten, 
They've given it, well, the majority has given it a 9 out of 10. So 85 votes gave it 9 out of 10. Um, 54 gave it 8. And 36 people gave it 10 out of 10, best race of their life. Um, but as I said, majority was a 9. So Cal, what was your rating and your driver of the day, please? Race rating, I'm going to go for a 9 out of 10. Purely because it's so early on in the season and I feel like things are going to get better. I feel like the standard of F1 has gone up. So a 9 out of 10 from me. Driver of the day, I must say it was going to be Lewis Hamilton, but with his unfortunate you know, pit stop issue during the safety car, that went away. So I'm giving it to Max Verstappen. Okay. Um, James? If it was a weekend rating, it would be a lot lower. Uh, but focusing purely on the action on track, yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it an eight out of ten. I think it was very good. It was a little bit dull for a point in the middle. I don't think it was quite as good some, as some people were saying personally uh, compared to some of the the chaos we've had. But no, it was a it was a very entertaining race for the most part. And driver of the day, yeah, I mean, Max and Max and Charles were both great. I'm gonna give it to Checo as a, at least a sympathy vote because he didn't do anything wrong. I think he deserves something. <laughs> a good old sympathy vote. Um, the F1 fan vote gave it to Leclerc, which he probably deserved. Um, I'm going to give the race rating a 9 out of 10. And again, not to talk about anything other than on-track action on Sunday. And my driver of the day is Max Verstappen. And I I just saw Cal's face when I said it. Um he was a new Max and I enjoyed watching Max race. Yes, I was worried that it was all going to end badly, but it didn't and he showed he's matured. So there we go. Cal, you're dying to just celebrate. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I am, but at the same time, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was going to end badly as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I also thought that last race, I thought, right, he's, you know, they're going to take each other out and they haven't. They've done it two races in a row, so... He's, he's, he's acting differently so we've had two races so far what's next James? well in two weeks on the 10th of April or well the weekend will start on the 8th we are finally back in Melbourne uh, at Albert Park which I, they've made some changes to for a race that never happened last year uh, for the Australian Grand Prix round three so going into that race it's only right we talk about the, the standings because we've got something that we may not have expected um currently leading the world championship is charles leclerc uh, with 45 points carlos Sainz is in second and you know you may not have con- consistency can uh, win championships um in third is max verstappen with george russell in fourth lewis hamilton is in fifth so with the constructors, Ferrari are leading with 78 points. Mercedes somehow are second with 38 points and Rebel are third with 37. But leading the midfield, Alpine with 16 points. So based on performance, Red Bull really you would think are in second, but that double DNF really stung them, didn't it? That's not going to stay the same, is it? If they can finish races they will be straight back. I should imagine at some point this season, Ferrari will have a DNF or a crash or something and that will close the gap straight away. That's all it takes is one one Ferrari error and it's all back level. So at the bottom, we've got Williams um, 
we thought that this might be a year where they progressed. So far, not. Yes, there's obviously elements to that. Um, but usually at the bottom, there's a team called Haas. Um, they're, they're not 10th, they're not 9th. Where are they, Cal? They are in 5th with 12 Yeehaw. points. And I must say, if Mick Schumacher was racing this weekend, uh, you know, he could have picked up some points as well. So Alpine being 4th, don't take that for granted right now. I personally think that is Hass's spot. And James, your take on Aston Martin still sitting on zero points. Again, we've had two races, but everyone else has scored points. Yeah, it's not looking good for, for Aston or Williams. I mean, yeah, as, as we've touched on, the, the all the Mercedes-powered cars, uh, hopefully they can get a bit closer to the, the top end of the midfield when we move to some different circuits. But yeah, it's it's not been not been a good start to the new era. The biggest worry for me with Aston Martin is the fact that Hulkenberg finished higher than Lance Stroll today. That is a massive worry. Yeah, I mean, I think Lance did get was he be, was he behind him when he got hit by Albon? I think he might have got screwed over by the safety car as well. I'm not totally sure. He was, but there were stages during the race where Hulkenberg was in front anyway. You know that he wasn't. It's not like Lance was leading in the whole time, and Hulkenberg was showing him up at one point. So it, it is a bit of a concern the fact that Lance isn't running away from Hulk. There, I know the car isn't great, but you'd still expect them to be miles apart, and they're not. So Lance has got a bit of homework to do. I think. Latest quotes coming in are: Lewis has just been asked, "Is does he want to come back next year?" He said right now all he wants to do is get home. It's not been a, a very enjoyable place. Lando said the same. Um, but he said, I would look forward to coming back here because it's a fun track, but there are discussions that need to take place. And I, I think I agree with that statement. Anything to add to that before we sign off? Absolutely. I mean, we touched on it at the start of the podcast. I'm not going to bring it all back up, but what happened happened. They need to make sure that won't happen again. I know it wasn't exactly in their hands, but it is a massive concern and that needs to go away and make it all about Formula One, all about the racing and try and keep the politics and what's going on in the world out of F1 where possible. Any final thoughts, James? I think you guys have, you guys and Lewis have summed it up pretty neatly. Really? Yeah. Nothing to add. So, what a race. We will be back with our next race review in two weeks. Until then, thank you very much, Cal. Thank you very much, sir. And everyone listening, get yourselves over to formulanerds.com. We've got a week off next week. So have a read up on what's going on in the world of Formula 1, Formula 2 and Formula 3. Then when W Series kicks off as well, we will be covering that quite heavily. James, thank you very much, sir. Because you're in Paris, it's now nearly 11 o'clock. So thank you for being with us. That's right. Pleasure. Whatever the time. What a great answer. We will see you next time. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.